You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America, Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience here at Conservative Review on Westwood One Podcast Network. And I hope you guys had a great weekend. I know I certainly enjoyed my time off and spent a lot of time fun in the sun with the kids. I'm just so, I'm still, I mean, to this day, I am still just totally gone from this Friday afternoon water fight I had with my kids and the humidity. I'm still dehydrated from it. Um, but it was really good. I, I, I kind of just cleared my mind over the weekend, didn't really follow much of the news, and didn't even answer phone calls or emails so much. But um, you know, here we are Monday morning, and I wanted to talk again about the emergency with illegal immigration that's taking place in our communities, not just at the border. I have a new article out how the drug cartels are our ISIS you know, the ISIS that we all worried about halfway overseas engaged in Islamic civil wars that put out these funky videos that the truth is they really didn't pose a strategic threat. We have the beheadings on our own shores, such as in a community in in Huntington, Alabama, Madison County. But once again, we're talking about Russia, 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 Russia. And, you know, as I'm recording this in the afternoon, Monday afternoon, I wanted to talk today about a comatose Congress that doesn't exist. It's already late July, more than half the year is in the can, a year where Republicans have so much power and they're literally doing nothing with it. I have nothing to even tell you about this week's proposed legislative agenda. I have nothing to opine on because there is none. I don't even know what they're doing this week. But before we talk about that, just the president – For those of you who heard our Foreign Policy Friday update on Friday, I was very, very bullish on the president's week in Europe. I felt he took what he calls an America first approach to NATO. But the problem is then we can't have nice things and then he ruins it in Helsinki. He should have taken that momentum into Helsinki And at least posture in a tough way to Putin. And where I find myself at now is this frustrating binary idolatry where all the loudest vocal critics of Trump on Russia are the very people that are America last on every other policy. And frankly, were never vocally with us to combat Putin when it came to the Iran deal, to combat Putin when it came to the New START treaty that dictated unilateral disarmament. About eight years ago, we were one of the few people who fought that. Suddenly, they're, they're saying, oh, Trump's committing treason. But then at the same time, it's hard for me to, to defend when he apologizes to Putin, when he basically goes on an apology tour. Now, the only reason why I haven't downright just totally gone after him is because <laughs> given that he is Trump and Trump's going to be Trump and he just says things that are often divorced from what he's actually doing, in this case, that's kind of good because what he's doing generally is actually pretty good on Russia. 
he's opposing Putin on, on the strategic front. But it, it really isn't helpful when he gets there, especially when this whole Mueller probe is, is basically the single biggest thing weighing down the presidency and weighing down the narrative so that we could have the next couple months, the lead up into the election, fighting over our sovereignty, fighting over America first, which is always a winner. It weighs him down, and then he goes to Helsinki, and he takes every allegation the left throws at him, and he, and he validates it, at least in rhetoric. Just why? Why does he have to do that? Really frustrating. At the same time, it's frustrating all these people like Ben Sass, as, as we noted on Friday, you know – I don't hear Ben Sass vocally criticizing NATO and these countries for coddling Putin, and yet Sass criticizes Trump for going after NATO. Now, at this point, he rightfully criticizes him with Russia, but again, it's a little bit frustrating that you know you never hear from these people backing the president up when he does good things, backing him up on the immigration issues, or, or downright hitting the president when he does liberal things. It's all about Russia and Mueller, which is just very frustrating. So I think everyone on all sides is being disingenuous and inconsistent. But you know, you guys know me enough here. I'm not going to be inconsistent. And I think, you know, the fact that Trump was so good last week on NATO is not an excuse for him being weak on Putin. It's it should have been. A catalyst for him to take that momentum into Helsinki and take it a step further. So we're going to watch this develop, but it's it's really frustrating. And I, I you know, unless there's some sort of ten-dimensional chess being played by Trump here, I can't understand what would be useful publicly complaining, pu- publicly, um, you know, apologizing basically to Putin. Now. Another thing that's frustrating about this to segue into the angle of Congress being completely comatose on our sovereignty. See, if the president would actually take Russian attempts to interfere in our elections seriously, he could seize the high road here and actually have the capital to say, all right, Democrats, you're right. We don't want anyone interfering here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold Putin accountable. But you know what? There's something worse than Russians attempting to, you know, hack into political party servers, somehow interfere with a narrative, because ultimately they're not voting. It's the people that are ultimately voting. But what's worse is foreign nationals actually voting in our elections. (laughs) You, You want to talk about influence, I'll talk about voting. And then that would be his perfect way to demand legislation in Congress, which won't act, to fix motor voter laws, to, per, to, to, to prevent illegals from getting driver's licenses, to end DACA amnesty, where courts are now saying that those who received it must get driver's licenses, to explicitly allow states to demand proof of citizenship for voting, before voting. What are the Democrats going to do? It's the perfect trap for them. Hey, you care about you know Russians trying to influence the media narrative of our elections. What about if Russians voted in our elections? Now, there probably aren't too many Russians voting, but we do have Russian immigrants like any other group of immigrants, and they vote. They vote. Where is Congress on this? And the courts 
are, are, are basically mandating it. I mean, they're not mandating illegals voting, but they're 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 blocking every avenue to prevent them from voting. And that's what happens. And, you know, I'd really like to see some action here. You know, my, my friends at Public Interest <coughs> Legal Foundation, PILF, uh, headed by J. Christian Adams, former uh, Justice Department official. You know, he's been kind of a one-man warrior on voter fraud, all different angles of it. Last week, you know, he, he sent this to me. I didn't get a chance to write about this yet. But what they've been doing is we all know that a number of illegals and legal immigrants, you know, it doesn't matter if they're a legal immigrant, uh, you know, if they're not a U.S. citizen, they, they can't be voting. It, it subverts the entire point of being a citizen or one of the major points, the, the foundation of the fr- franchise. But um, – they're they're trying to target individual counties where they can get enough data because it's very hard because no one's cooperating. I mean, Congress should demand that the states cooperate, but um, they're trying to target different jurisdictions to give you a snapshot of how ubiquitous this problem is. Because if you know they're getting driver's licenses and you know there's no way to really block the seamless motor voter transition from a license to voter registration, you know, except for the honor system, which, you know, a lot of immigrants are honest, but, but, you know, it's all an honor system. You better believe there are some gaming it out and you better believe if they're registered, they're actually voting. So, um, here it is in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania. For those of you, uh, not from this part of the country, that's Pittsburgh area. They found 139 instances of non-citizen voter registration that was... Now, the only reason why they found them, it's not that there were just 139. I bet there were more um, than that. But those are the ones that were caught and they were canceled um, because they were disclosed to the county over the last decade or so. 27% of those non-citizens cast at least one ballot prior to removal. Non-citizens remain registered for an average of six years before they are removed. That's how long it takes to catch them. 71% of non-citizens self-reported their ineligibility registrations at great legal risk. And credit credit to them. And, um, you know, this has been a problem. They've been focused on Pennsylvania for a while, but I know they put out a report on Virginia and New Jersey. And, you know, you, you... you would imagine counties, you know, Pittsburgh doesn't have that many illegals reg- relative to some other places, but it's got to be worse. Now, you know, by and large, most legal immigrants are honest people. Um, but, you know, this is actually, by the way, this is going to hurt them because what happens is they'll actually, it's a deportable offense to um, falsely, you know, register to vote vote in a in a election as it should be, but the problem is we're actually screwing them over because we're making it so easy to just register them. A lot of them don't even realize it. Meaning, there's a fraud angle to this, especially with illegals. But with elite, with legal immigrants, a lot of this they're not even doing it on purpose. Think about it. States, all states issue legal immigrants licenses, which which is fine. You know, I, we we definitely want that. But then you have to make sure that we ask for proof of citizenship 
and have all the other front end and back end ways of cleaning up the voter rolls. But we don't. I mean, the ACLU blocks it at every front. The courts block it at every front. So therefore, there's no way of checking. And then certainly it's a problem with states like California that have over a a million illegals registered to vote. Uh, uh, Not registered to vote, but given driver's licenses. I know I've heard PILF is actually going to work on a – is currently working on a study of California. That's going to be fascinating because you got to believe it's a massive percentage there that are illegally registered to vote. And then indeed, if they're illegally registered to vote, well, a lot of them are going to vote. And then you know you got this problem now of automatic registration in states like Maryland, Massachusetts, where they basically take the driver's licenses rolls and, and just register them to vote no matter what. So it kind of puts an exclamation mark on the pre-existing problem with motor voter laws. It makes it even worse. And again, you're going you're gonna to rope a lot of people in to falsely being registered to vote who don't even want to be registered to vote. Um, and then you could just have ignorance. You know, think about it. I mean, you know, if you're new to this country, you're a legal immigrant, you're given a driver's license, and uh, the the person behind the line at MVA or whatever you call it, DMV, says, hey, are you registered to vote? Would you like to register? They'll be like, oh, I don't know. Well, maybe I could register to vote. I'm here legally. You know, we take it for granted that everyone realizes that, but, um, you know, it's all the honor system. This is literally stolen sovereignty. And the courts are stopping this at every front. We're not getting relief from the Supreme Court, as I keep pointing out. And... uh, you know, there's no help from Congress. Look, there's no mystery as to the citizenship status of a DMV customer when they're offered voter registration. Right? Let's say in Pennsylvania, for a non-citizen to get a license, they must present a original immigration paperwork from DHS. So that is true. That is true that from the beginning, you know, if you want to get a driver's license, you have to present that, you know, your foreign passport, things like that. Um, You know, in New Jersey, you have to present your alien IDs. So these documents are on the table when voter registration is offered. But, you know, you got to believe in these blue jurisdictions that they're not really being careful about it. I don't blame the immigrant in a lot of these cases, but, you know, and, and that's the thing. Jay Christian Adams' group is is just spot-checking counties here and there, and we're seeing they're registered to vote. And, and it, you know, if the system were working well, no, no non-citizen should be eligible to vote. It's that simple. It's that simple. But keep in mind, once they're given a driver's license, it's very difficult because, by the way, so we have this problem with you know lower courts like the Fourth Circuit throwing out North Carolina's photo ID law, and that's a problem with general voter fraud, you know, such as uh, d- duplicative uh, registrations. You're out of state. You voted twice. Deceased voters having imposters. So you could demand a photo ID, and if you actually had that, it would work because you'd look at the picture like anything else and. <clears throat> realize he wouldn't be registered or you know it would downright be um a deterrent to those attempting to engage in voter fraud but when it comes to non-citizens voting remember that this doesn't make a difference 
because if it says you're Jose Martinez, whatever, um, living at you know ten ten Mockingbird Lane, and this zip code, and they see a picture, indeed they're going to see your picture, and indeed you're living there, and indeed you're registered to vote. It's just you're a non-citizen, and you know once you get that far, there's no, I mean, there's no way the guy behind the counter, um, the the clerk, you know, volunteering his time to man the polls, is going to notice that. They're just going to ask for for photo ID, and if it's the right photo, so I'm saying that's not even going to catch. Photo ID laws aren't even going to catch this at the back end, which is so important. You need this at the front end to prevent it. Congress needs to update. The motor voter laws. Now, again, you know, like a lot of these laws, I would argue they didn't really give the courts authorization to do what they're doing, but, you know, they, they are doing it. And we need to protect the elections. And what better time, Mr. President, to push this issue? But again, you know, he loses the moral high ground by, you know, kind of just brushing off what Putin's doing. And look, it doesn't excuse the gross hypocrisy of the left that they worry about so-called interference from Russia but aren't concerned about foreign nationals downright voting in our elections. So yeah, I mean, that's a huge problem. Congress is doing nothing about that. But broadly speaking, with this immigration problem, we have a major problem, and, and t- today I want to straddle both Congress's impotence and, again, to continue on our theme from last week with the courts and how the ACLU is able to shop any lawsuit around to a lower court, get rights for illegal immigrants, have them stay here, get counted in the census, wind up voting, destroying our neighborhoods. We pay so much money for them in the education system, health care, criminal justice, and then the fact that we have ISIS on our own shores in the form of drug cartels in terms of the sheer brutality. And Congress does nothing about this. And unfortunately now with this whole Putin nonsense, we lose the narrative. Trump could have had a perfect fight tweeting every day for the rest of July and August, shaming Congress to act and warning. The way, the way to really make an issue of this is every day at 6 in the morning, he tweets, I will veto any homeland security bill that doesn't make funding priorities for ICE, for the wall, for sanctuary to go up against sanctuary cities, to defund them, to explicitly deputize and empower states to enforce the law, and and most importantly, to deal with these lower courts. You know, what I find amazing is that not just the media, but all these stupid good-doer groups that know nothing about the border issue, don't understand it, don't understand who orchestrates it, what causes it, the results of it, how it's the nexus as we've banged away here for, for months. It's the nexus of the drug crisis, the gang crisis, national security problems, stolen sovereignty. It all comes back to the border and sanctuary cities. But they only care about the issue when the media tells them to care and for whom the media tells them to care. Oh, the family is being separated. Let me tell you what's going on here. Some of you might have read this over the weekend, so it might be um, old news to you. But uh, you know, if you haven't read it by now, 
This article at AL.com in Alabama. 13-year-old girl beheaded after witnessing grandmother's slaying, investigators testified. I'm going to read this article, and I want to glean from here a lot of important lessons. A 13-year-old Huntsville girl, now they call her a Huntsville girl, I mean she's really presumably an illegal alien, um, was beheaded after she witnessed her grandmother assaulted with a knife and left to die on the ground in a cemetery court testimony revealed. This was late last week. Uh, this happened you know, in June, but the, the court case was, uh, um, or at least began last, last week. The grandmother was associated with the Sinaloa cartel, a drug trafficking organization, a Madison County Sheriff's, Sheriff's investigator testified today. Just days before Aurelia Mendoza, and her, that was a grandmother, and her granddaughter, Mar- Mariah Lopez, were killed, Mendoza and three others went to pick up a batch of methamphetamine, investigator Stacy Rutherford told the judge. After one of her drug cohorts became suspicious, the situation turned deadly. Israel Pal- Palamonio, 34, and Yanni Aguilar, 26, prime dreamer age, by the way, are charged with two counts each of capital murder and the slayings of Men- Mendoza and Lopez. Aguilar was in Madison County District Court on Thursday for a pre- preliminary hearing. District Judge Claude Hunley ruled prosecutors have enough evidence to send the case to grand jury. In a statement to investigators, Aguilar, who was Mendoza's boyfriend, confessed and also implicated Palomonio, according to the sheriff's office. It was June 2nd when Palomonio, Aguilar, Mendoza, and, th- and a woman named Leticia Garcia went to pick up a quarter kilo of meth um, somewhere in a small city in northeast Georgia. And, and very sad. Small city in northeast Georgia. So, by the way, you know, when you hear, oh, there's no Mexicans in these places. Well, yeah, but the primary traffickers wind up getting the drugs there. Um, you know, they are Mexicans or, or Latin Americans or whatever, legal aliens. And it was Mendoza and Garcia who were tied to the cartel. And Palmonia thought there might be a setup. During the early morning hours of June 4th, Mendoza was told she and Lopez would be taken somewhere safe. Instead, Rutherford testified Palmonia and Aguilar drove the woman and her granddaughter to Moon Cemetery on Cave Springs Road. Mendoza and Palmonia got out of the car and argued about the drug buy. Um, basically, it escalated, and Aguilar told police that Palmonio killed Mendoza um, you know, with, with a knife. Now, the girl was sitting there watching that, and because she was a witness, the suspects took the girl to a secluded area nearby, and basically Aguilar said Palmonio forced him to kill the girl, beheaded her. You know, and, and this, is, this is outside of Huntsville, Alabama. You know, this is, not, this is not, you know, in California or somewhere else near the border. This is happening on our own shores. Everywhere. And by the way, there's another important thing you see here. Notice how drug trafficking is inherently violent. This happens all the time. I mean, even not in the context of criminal aliens and the drug cartels. I mean, even the Americans involved in it. Um, So, you know, just back to this criminal justice reform issue of basically taking away all the stringencies on mandatory sentencing on drug trafficking. These people are not nonviolent, okay? There's a reason why we enjoyed a two, tech, two decades long decline in in violent crime precisely after we passed these type of laws very much focused on the drug traffickers. But that's neither here nor there. 
Where, where's the media? See, this is an important lesson here, as I note in my article. So, it's not cool to care about Americans that suffer from these very bogus asylum catch-and-release policies that while they encourage 50,000 bogus asylees, many of whom who are problematic themselves coming in here, there's roughly, according to Brandon Judd, we had on our show, the uh, president of the Border Patrol Council, 50,000 others who we don't interdict, and they're really bad people. And they're only able to come in because the drug cartels are able to orchestrate that flow under this interference of, of these bogus asylees. And this is what we have in our country. Now, we know we can't care about Americans, but what about illegal immigrants? I, I've said this over and over again. You're not doing the illegals, the nonviolent ones or the children, any favors by bringing them in under a process that puts them in neighborhoods and communities in America that are just as violent as the ones that they're supposedly fleeing in Honduras or wherever else. Beheadings? Are you kidding me? Everyone knows, you know, every American you mentioned ISIS and, and just, you know, a chill goes down their spine. They, you know, even though I've said over and over strategically Hezbollah is a bigger threat and whatever. But the point is the drug cartel, Sinaloa, Zetas, Golfo, you know, they are just as brutal as ISIS. And we allow them to operate on our, our shores. Now, as I've noticed, as I've mentioned often, this is a two-step problem. It's a border problem. But then, all right, fine, they get in the country. But then, given that these are the people committing so many crimes, the first crime they commit, which they often do, meaning sometimes, oh, man, they murder someone and there was never any warning. In this particular case, I don't – I mean there aren't enough media articles out. I haven't seen enough information. Did they have any other record You know, that, that police – could have apprehended them before an ICE could have gotten a hold of them. But generally speaking, that's usually what happens. There's a DUI, which in itself, as we had Eileen Smith on our show a couple weeks ago, who lost her unborn son because of a, an illegal alien DUI that should have been caught before. That in itself is, a, is not a low-level crime. But they should immediately be turned over to ICE. And also, many of them are the drug runners. Either they're big drug runners or often, sometimes they're just smaller drug pimps. But if you would actually not let them go and you communicate with ICE, they have all the intel on their real names or they come from, you could easily work together if you didn't have sanctuary cities to bust up the bigger drug networks. You get to the safe house and you find the higher value targets. So that leads me to another report that came out, ICE's Boston field office. Some of you might have seen this. If you haven't, they released a report showing how just during one week this past spring, one week, 456 criminal aliens were arrested by Massachusetts authorities. One week. Multiply that by 52 weeks. And in one state, you get what? Um, you know, close to 20,000, 25,000 criminal aliens arrested for crimes. Yet, ICE announced that they were only to 
able to apprehend about 48% of those people. Why? Well, Massachusetts, declared by the Superior Court of Massachusetts, is a sanctuary state. I want to read this to you because we've been making this thesis for quite a long time. We had Jessica Vaughn, who, by the way, is from Massachusetts, the in my mind, the foremost expert on interior enforcement, sanctuary cities, noting that the sanctuary cities are allowing these drug networks to operate undetected because, you, you know, again, for Americans, it's so hard to land a conviction. You catch these guys on drugs, often it's hard to even have enough probable cause to hold them, much less go to trial and convict them. But when you catch an illegal engaging in drugs, you just throw him out and you give him over to ICE. And that's how you would bust up the network over several months and certainly several years. You wouldn't have anything less left. And as Jessica always tells me, this is how, under the Bush administration, under 287G program, they almost completely eradicated MS-13. Because you don't have to worry about all the 50 million loop, leaky loopholes in trying to land a conviction. But what happens in a sanctuary state? So here's from this ICE report. In addition to these highlighted cases, a high number of removable aliens charged with the distribution of heroin and fentanyl are released from state custody without notification to ICE. Countless removable aliens have been arrested for contributing to the opioid epidemic in Massachusetts, mostly by trafficking and distributing Class A drugs. These aliens are routinely released on bail from local jails after normal business hours when ICE officers are unable to respond in a timely fashion or are not notified about the release. Lack of cooperation by state agencies has significantly contributed to the continued distribution of dangerous drugs. And that's the operative word. There's one thing to get it in the country. You know, it's it's nearly impossible to keep out all drugs, although I would argue if we had normal border security, we'd keep out a lot of it. But... you know, like I said, it, it's a it's a lot easier for them to get in the drugs once than to permanently operate for months and years in a profitable business venture undetected without any of their operatives being arrested. Indeed, they're not. They don't. They're always arrested. But they let them go. That is your opioid crisis, and yet DA is um who who in their own threat assessments say this that Lawrence, Massachusetts. Has become a hub for criminal aliens, and that's largely responsible for the heroin, you know, epidemic of crazy proportions in the state of New Hampshire. They're too busy arbitrarily cutting back manufacturing levels of painkillers, really hurting pain patients. And you know, I want to delve into that at some point. I should, I should really have another. Um, expert guest on this show. Um, I'm going to make a note of that within the next couple of weeks or so to just really note how pain patients, cancer patients who never overdose, who aren't addicts and badly need it, there is a place for painkillers in this world. They can't have it because we don't want to go after the drug traffickers and the criminal aliens and the criminal aliens who are drug traffickers. And Congress is out to lunch. Completely out to lunch, and the president is usually on message on this issue. But you know, all the, all the other stuff he's doing, he's not properly making the play call. I'm hoping now that Mark Short is leaving as uh, you know the head of um, the legislative office. Hopefully, he'll get someone who who could make these play calls. 
he's got to issue a veto threat and jumpstart action and say, this is an emergency. Heck, if I were Trump, I would troll Congress and say, I know you don't care about Americans. I know. Do it for the legal children. Which brings me back to the illegal children I want to talk about and the sanctuary courts that every day are doing insane things and Congress doesn't do anything about it. And much to my chagrin, the executive branch, which could push back as well, is just obsequiously listening to them. And finally, I want you guys to conclude that even if we got nine conservatives on the Supreme Court, unless we change the way we deal with the lower courts or at least mandate automatic stays from the Supreme Court pending appeal, our country is basically run by the ACLU, which determines which district judge they can go to to set national border security policy. Right before I went offline on Friday for the weekend, HHS put out a statement, or actually it was really the White House citing HHS, that 20% of the families, the illegal alien families that had kids separated and the kids were under five. So this insane, nutty judge in Sa- in, in, from, from San Diego that was forum shot by the ACLU went ahead and said that by last week, all of those under five had to be reunited with their parents. And then by July 26th, the ones from age five to 17 – have to be reunited. And this guy owns he, – he owns our country. Okay, so rather than defending our border and defending against all these people we've been talking about, they say they have to marshal all their resources to reunite them. And now, look, at some point you say, who cares? Just reunite all of them and get them and get them all out of here. But there's two problems with that. Number one, no good deed ever goes unpunished. So the truth be told, the government does care about the foreign national kids more than American kids. And they're trying to ensure that they're indeed their legitimate parents because they're often not. And they find that 20% of them, they can't reunite with them either because they're not their parents. It's delivering them into the hands of the drug smugglers, the drug cartels, or – or – They're, they're so violent or are so ridden with criminal records that they'd be no different from American kids that protective services would come in and take them into custody. And you know, also they're saying, look, you know, we need DNA tests um, and to find proper documentation. And the judge says, tell it to the hand. Speak to the hand. You, you reunite them by this date at all costs. Doesn't care. Doesn't care. You can't do DNA tests. Okay. But then there's a second problem. As we're on air here, that same judge, who's just going on a rampage, ordered a temporary halt to all deportation of these families pending this whole circus from the ACLU. So we always said that that's really the goal here. This is not about reuniting families. It's they want them united together, catch and release into our communities Burdening the American community is never to be heard from. The separation was never the problem. Okay, we'll separate them. I, I mean, we'll reunite them and then deport them. Oh, no, now they're saying you can't deport them. Obviously a violation of 
the most ancient principles of sovereignty and case law. But that, that doesn't matter. And notice, none of this is being... Basically, they found a judge. It's not just one case. He's owning this entire issue. The administration keeps changing its policies because of this one judge. You know that if they would have taken it to a Fifth Circuit judge, Judge Hannon, never would have happened. You know the Supreme Court wouldn't issue these opinions. But once it's rendered, they shop it to him and it's rendered, it takes forever to get relief from the Supreme Court, which is why this whole Kavanaugh stuff, the whole Supreme Court focus, I'm telling you guys, is not going to make a difference. So we're going to be watching this. But the point is, 20% of them were ineligible. Doesn't the media, don't all these phony religious groups that say, oh, it's immoral or Nazis, don't they care about not delivering kids into the hands of drug cartels and the human smugglers? No, they don't. No, they don't. Um, it's, it's pretty unbelievable. I just, I just can't believe it. But it gets worse. This same judge is now saying that the American taxpayer must pay the cost of reuniting families. This is from Reuters. A U.S. judge in California on Friday, this was right before the weekend, ordered Trump, Trump, President Donald Trump's administration to pay the costs of reuniting immigrant parents with children separated from them by officials at the U.S.-Mexican border. <laughs> rather than forcing the parents to pay. They came here of their own volition. Most of them self-separate. Often they're, they're separating anyway, trying to get their kids in here. They don't care. And we have to pay for it. Quote, it doesn't make any sense for any of the parents who have been separated to pay for anything. U.S. District Judge Don, Dana Sabrar, who last month ordered that the children be reunited with their parents. This is just sick. This is just utterly sick. The government will make it happen, Sabral responded. It's just unbelievable. Un-freaking believable. I don't know what to tell you guys. But it gets worse. Now, now, Three immigrant mothers who were recently separated from their children at the border by federal authorities sued the Trump administration in California federal court. This is the central district, so not Sabrar, but they'll probably get Dolly G or one of those people seeking to represent a punitive class of families allegedly in need of mental health services because of the government's actions. The immigrants are entitled to the services after the federal government violated the the due process and equal protection clause of the U.S. Constitution Constitution by purposefully separating children and parents. Imagine that equal protection. The truth is, they're they're right, it's it's actually unequal. Because when it comes to American criminals, we do separate them. Here we're not. I I, I mean, it, it just never ends. Never, never ends. And by the way, they're also suing, as I mentioned last week, blaming ICE for miscarriages. 
I mean, folks, you tell me if you really think. Tell me why. Email me at thehorowitz at crtv.com. Tweet me at armconservative. Let me know why you think, even if Ruth Bader Ginsburg kicks the bucket, why getting more conservatives on the Supreme Court will even make a difference if this doesn't stop when they only take up 60 cases. This is utterly insane. It's just nuts. And where is Congress? Where is Congress dealing with this? First of all, Judge Dana Sabrar needs to be impeached immediately. I mean, this is just utterly insane. Utterly insane. But, you know... There's no staff to even write it. I'm going to have to write the articles of impeachment myself and try to shop it around to someone. But um, I, don't, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know how many more examples to point this out before this stupid conservative legal establishment recognizes the problem. And, and let me just punctuate this with, with another case. Late last week, was it Wednesday or Thursday? Um a bunch of Iranian nationals sued our government from Austria. They're in an Austria embassy, and they weren't let in as refugees, and they got standing to sue. They didn't rule on the case yet, but they did get standing. The judge in California, I forget which one it was, certified the class for a class action lawsuit. Now, what's amazingly ironic about this case so aside from the fact that foreign nationals could get standing to get refugee status and be you know get immigration status as country they were suing saying the government was wasn't following the Lautenberg amendment if you remember last year i mentioned during the whole fight against the so-called travel ban one of the aspects of trump's order one of the aspects was directing um federal authorities to prioritize Christians and other persecuted minorities for refugee status. And the left sued over that. And the truth be told, they won because Trump modified it, and even the relief he got at the Supreme Court didn't address that point because he changed it. He never It never had its day in court. Like I said, you know, at the time Trump v. Hawaii came down, that in many ways the lower courts permanently won on more than half the issue because Trump permanently modified it. Even though the Supreme Court would have never ruled that way, but because it takes forever to get there, in this case it was actually 16 months was expeditious, 15 months, 16 months, you know, that was considered pretty quickly. But many times it doesn't get there, and in this case, it, you know, he had to modify it. So they were saying, you can't, no, you can't do that. And I pointed out at the time, I said, what do you mean? If you read the statute surrounding... Um, surrounding refugee status, its entire letter and spirit is disentangling and recognizing a minority. It's, I mean, that's what it is. It's so-called discrimination. I mean, if you could absurdly apply that to foreign nationals in the immigration context, but that's what it is. It's, you know, you, you discriminate for the minority being persecuted by the majority. So, you know, if you're part of the majority seeking refugee status, I mean, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you're a persecutor, but you're not a persecutee. You're not 
or you're, you're certainly not eligible for that status. Okay? So now, in comes this lawsuit. Now, they're mainly Iranian Christians, and they're, they're suing under the Lautenberg Amendment. So I, I mentioned this in an article last year. I said, in fact, there's something called the Lautenberg Amendment that explicitly is a process that brings in Christians and Jews from Iran and explicitly weeds out Iranians. And it, it's a whole process because we don't have diplomatic ties, so you can't, we don't have an embassy in Iran, so that where we process it through the embassy in Vienna. And I was told by someone who actually worked for Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, one of the nine Volags, that one of these uh, whores that um, that uh, settles our country with Islamic refugees. So, you know, they they were, they were for years were trying to push this process, and they're like, no, don't worry, it doesn't bring in Muslims. We ask them, you know, if they're Christians, when did you find Jesus? And if they're Jews, we make sure they're authentic. So, you know, that was the epitome of what they sued against, and now they're suing the other way, that we're not following the Lautenberg Amendment. Now, I don't know the circumstances so much, um, you know, why, why the administration's not expeditiously bringing them in and what the story is that they're Christians. Um, you know, not everyone's entitled, and there could be issues here, but that's not the point. Legally, no one should ever get standing, and I thought we just had a Supreme Court ruling you know, statute 1182F, 8 U.S.C. 1182F, in other words, 212F of the Immigration Nationality Act, gives the president full authority to suspend immigration from anywhere. And yet here we are, they get standing to keep suing. This is my thesis. We don't win at the Supreme Court. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter until we shut this down. This whole thing is utterly insane. So there you have it. We come back to stolen sovereignty as always. And that's what it is. You know, everyone's going to be yelping about Putin the next 24 hours or so and fighting with each other over it, and there's what to say about it. But once again, we're missing the point. If you're worried about sovereignty, the fact that the most violent drug cartels that are like ISIS could orchestrate this flow into our country and have they them they themselves come into our country fill us with violence fill us with drugs and gangs the costs are enormous the crime is enormous demand that we pay for their litigation that they get all sorts of rights they get counted in the census they have kids that are counted as americans and they they wind up voting a lot of them and congress is just out to lunch we have a comatose Congress. We have a comatose conservative movement. You know, one other one other thing on this border thing. So finally, the Trump administration is doing what what I said they should do from day one. If you remember, is to block it right at the border. So you know, until now, the problem is they they ask them, "Do you have a credible fear?" So ninety percent passed their credible fear interview. Yeah, we have a credible fear. But then ultimately 90% don't get asylum because you know when they really adjudicate it, then they're found to be obviously not eligible because it's not really asylum. But then by then, often they disappear into our country. I was always saying there's no you know, the whole notion of asylum is discretionary. There is no right to come here. 
at the border. They need to say, look, unless you have some sort of individualized persecution by the government, get out of here. So that that is what they're dictating through the new USCIS policy. Um, and that's good. But here's the thing. If Trump, if the Trump administration is going to continue to listen to every whim of a judge, even when he's being impossible while being illegal, then I don't know what to tell, to tell you. And I'm just telling you, if there was ever a time where the Trump administration has the public backing, it's now. Because the left just blew the public up over this issue of separating families and saying, look, the judge is being crazy on this. He's forcing it on, uh, forcing this whole issue on us, endangering all Americans. Don't listen to Sabra. And have a guy like Meadows introduce articles of impeachment at the same time. So then the public focus now is on the judge. Or like I said, at least don't listen to the guy in Texas, where, which is where, where 72% of these family units are, and then make them sue you in Texas and then finally get this issue of nationwide injunctions before the Supreme Court. But if they don't do that, I, I guarantee you within the week, they're going to put an injunction on this policy as well. Oh, no, no, you can't dismiss their claims at the border. Just unbelievable. Anyway, folks, it's very clear that Congress, the government, they have no intention of protecting us from the true foreign influence, from the foreign invaders in this country, and from domestic crime, which is why you need to protect yourself, which is why you need to carry in the states where you have the freedom to do so. And in order to carry properly, you need a comfortable, secure and versatile holder. Join me in supporting our sponsors, We The People Holsters. Go to We The People Holsters forward slash conservative conscience. We The People, We The People's, at We The People Holsters.com forward slash conservative conscience and get $10 off your holster with free shipping. They're all custom-made parts. I have mine for outside the waistband, but they have even more options for inside the waistband. Check them out um, and support the best quality holsters made in America and the best conservative gun accessory makers in America. Anyway, there you have it. You know, Congress is going to continue to be comatose so long as we have a comatose conservative movement that doesn't get the president on message. And when you don't get him on message, he's going to veer off message like you're seeing today. And then we're going to have this false dichotomy fight between the Jeff Flakes and the Ben Sasses and Trump and this and back and forth. And meanwhile, no, nobody's standing for what's right. So that's a way to kick off this busy week. We'll have a lot more coming. But I'm just telling you, watch this with these judges. And don't let anyone convince you that the Supreme Court's going to fix this because they're not. We're going to keep pointing this out every day. And, you know, look, I get a lot of good information from you guys as well. You send me good messages. Even if I don't get time to respond, just know I usually wind up seeing it. So you can always email me or tweet me. And God, God bless you all. We'll speak to you later. Have a good day. Have a good day.